Wasn't that great? Good to be together again today. Good to uh, celebrate our Lord's coming to the earth and his father sending him. Um, You know, as we think of Christmas, Christmas can turn into all kinds of things as we go through the season, can't it? I mean, you have Christmas parties, office, school, whatever. You have gift buying. You have traveling to be with relatives and friends. You have sometimes uh, dealing with certain relatives and friends, and which is more difficult. Of course, you have the Christmas meal that takes a lot of preparation, and things can go awry at that time. A lot of things that can fill our minds, fill our spirits, and even fill our nerves, right? And so we're reminded from time to time, you know, from people, from church, from even maybe commercials, to focus on the true meaning of Christmas. We have so many other things coming in and trying to take our mind away from it, but focus on the true meaning of Christmas, the birth of our Savior, that God sent his son, his own son, to redeem us and to purchase us out of the slave market of sin, to pay the redemption price for us. And so, you know, some families with small children will even throw a birthday party for Jesus to help them realize what the meaning is for Christmas or what it's all about. But as good as that is, and I think it's a good thing, is that the full meaning of Christmas? Or does Christmas or the Christmas story have even a more and richer and deeper meaning than celebrating the birthday of Jesus. What I would like to do this morning is I'd like to read through, just uh, read through the birth narrative in Luke chapter 2. And then I would like you just to listen. The, the verses won't be up on the screen for this reading. And then we'll look into it and see if there's something more in there than what we often see. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. That was a land just north of Israel. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave him <clears throat> and she gave birth to the, her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. <clears throat> An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people, all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. <clears throat> Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, <clears throat> they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. <clears throat> so Luke tells us that because of a census de decreed by the Roman emperor, Joseph had to travel to uh, Bethlehem, which was approximately 90 miles from Nazareth. <clears throat> and then he says, and while they were there, time for the baby to be born came due, and so Mary had a son. And she wrapped him in cloths, laid him in the manger, because there was no guest room available this uh, passage says. Well, you know, many of us have heard <clears throat> that the Old Testament scriptures prophesy that the Messiah of Israel would be born in Bethlehem, right? It's in the book of Micah, an Old Testament prophetic book. But you know, as we read this account that we just read, <clears throat> there is no hint of Joseph making plans to travel to Bethlehem for the birth of the baby Jesus. In fact, they have to go because the Roman emperor decreed that everybody has to go to their town of ancestry. And that's very clear in the passage that they had to go because of the decree from the Roman emperor. And so they go to Bethlehem because Joseph came from the house of David, the house in the line of King David. So the prophecies <clears throat> say the Messiah would come from the line of David and would be born in Bethlehem, the home place of King David. And if I were to take a wild guess, I would guess that Joseph and Mary were not thrilled about having to travel 90 miles the way that they had to travel when she is heavy with baby. Not sure how, how close she was, but just being pregnant at all would be tough. 
And I would almost bet that the Roman emperor had no interest in fulfilling that Jewish prophecy that a king would be born in Bethlehem if he had known about it. I don't think he would have been one that was willing or anxious to be part of that prophecy, making that prophecy come true, that this king would be born in his area. So what I am saying is that, and what many of you probably know, is that God is working things out using human rulers who have no idea that God is using them. And he's using them to bring about his perfect will and his salvation plan. And he's using them to make all the pieces fit perfectly so that it comes out to the way he is planning them to come out. Even when those plans will be totally contrary to what those rulers would want. The very thing they don't want, he's using them to cause to occur. And you know, it's sort of ironic, I suppose, that some, you know, back then and even now, who might mock a belief in God, they could end up being used by God in very crucial aspects of his plan. And there's nothing they can do about it. And they tear down the belief in God and make fun of those who trust in God, and yet God uses them. And then, you know, we have this matter of no room in the inn or no guest room available, it says. According to early tradition, uh, they were probably not looking for, like, an inn, a, a comfortable inn like we might think, but more like a public shelter that, you know, crowds would come in, there'd be a crowd of people and just trying to find space in the shelter. Maybe like a, maybe like a bus station, you know, in the city where you're trying to find a bench to sleep on or, or maybe coming across the border <clears throat> trying to find a place to sleep. But even that wasn't available for the baby Jesus. So the king of all creation was born in an animal shelter, probably a cave-type shelter, and then he was laid in a feeding trough for the animals. And here's what one writer said about it. He said, Rome was an unconscious agent in God's work The profane decree of a census had yielded a divine event. And a stable was the Messiah's first throne room. Now I think that says a lot about our most high God and his son whom he sent to redeem us. I think the fact that God planned it this way and made it come out and these, with these details, says a lot about who God is, what he thinks of us, and who his son is, and what he was willing to do for us. But what about those shepherds out in the fields guarding their sheep? You know, most of us have heard over the years that shepherds were not at the high end of society. They weren't important people of society. But God sent the birth announcement of the king of the 
eternal king of the, of the new earth, his glorious son, to common people. Because God's salvation is for common people. God's salvation is for lowly people. People who will humble themselves and show their need for, for God. It says one angel appears to the shepherds. Just at first, it's that one angel and the physical, ominous glory of God Almighty surrounds them. And it says they were terrified, terrified at this angel and terrified of the Shekinah glory of God surrounding them. And you know, when people met up with God or some manifestation of God or even a, an angel of God, their first thought was, I've seen God, I'm going to die. And it wasn't because they were just these deep-thinking theologians. It was because the power of God was overwhelming to them. And sometimes angels would cause people to cower in fear. So this angel comes, and these, these shepherds are terrified at the sight of this angel and the glory of God that surrounded them. And the angel tells them not to fear. He has good news for them that will cause great joy. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And he only got there because of the decree, right? He is the Messiah, the Lord. And here is how you will identify him. Here's how you will see which one he is. He will be a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Now you can imagine when people through the ages thought of the Messiah coming to rescue them from their enemies, the Messiah coming to free them from their bondage or their captivity or whatever what the uh, circumstances were at the time. They knew that this Messiah would right all wrong. He would overthrow those who had conquered them and mistreated them. And probably most would think, if they were to say, how are we going to identify the Messiah? It's probably somebody that grew up to be a mighty warrior. <clears throat> a King David-like figure. But here again, God carrying out his plan in a way that no one would have imagined. Not only identifying the Messiah as a baby, but as a swaddled baby lying in a feeding trough in some cave-type shelter. Nothing here speaks of royalty or privilege, does it? It just shows humility. It just shows how willing the Father and the Son were to come down to our level to save us. And God has come. All through the scriptures, it talks about God dwelling with mankind. And in the end of the Bible, it talks about now God dwells with mankind. And he does it in the most humble of ways. He comes down to our level. He announces it to shepherds. He's born in a cave. Now, as the angel describes the lowly state of the Messiah... For them to identify him, look what immediately happens. It says, suddenly, 
a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So you have this angel that strikes fear into the heart of these shepherds and terrifies them with his presence, his very presence. But then proceeds to tell them about this little baby that's going to be lying in a feeding trough. And then suddenly, wham, multitudes of angels. I'm guessing tens of thousands of angels as I read the scriptures and see how God does things. Multitudes of powerful heavenly creatures shouting praise to God. So we have this very humble setting of, of uh, shepherds going to see this little baby swaddled and lying in a feeding trough. And you got this magnificent heavenly announcement coming over the air. And they speak of God coming, coming to them in a baby. And then he's coming to those, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And that would be all who will humble themselves. All who will admit their fallen state and turn to God for redemption. Because he is going to pay the ransom price. <clears throat> so who would have written the story of our Savior's coming in this way? Who would have even thought of coming close to this type of a story of introducing our Savior to us? Announcing his birth to those with no high standing. Telling them the Messiah would be in a cave lying in a feeding trough. So the shepherds are now very motivated to go check out this amazing news, and they go to Bethlehem. It doesn't say how long it took for them to get there, <clears throat> how far it was. It doesn't say how difficult it was to find the baby. I'm guessing it was easier to find him if they said he was in an animal shelter or some kind of a cave uh, rather than searching you know, the public places where people would come and try to stay. And I'm thinking that these shepherds would be familiar with these caves that would, would uh, shelter animals, maybe in bad weather. So I'm thinking that it was more suitable for them to go search these caves to find the newborn baby. And when they found him, it's the family. It's, it's the family and them, not crowds of people trying to trying to make their way through and trying to find a baby born somewhere. But when the shepherds locate the baby, they are overjoyed. And not only because they found the Messiah himself, as exciting as that is, but they are overjoyed because everything they saw was exactly as the angel told them. And so as they went, they were led by the, his instructions exactly. And they were told this almost unbelievable message from an angel of God 
And whoever expects to receive messages from God through a terrifying angel that then is joined by this multitude of angels praising God. Pretty wild stuff. Once in a lifetime. So it says, when the shepherds get to the birthplace, they tell their story to everyone. And they are bursting with excitement. And they start telling others their story. And then that excitement spreads. And the community is excited about this because it's the birth of the Messiah. And it says all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds were telling them. And you know, one element of that overflowing excitement has to be, as the Bible calls it, that God remembered them. And in the Bible, it talks about, and God remembered. It means he comes back to a promise he made long ago. And maybe the people have wondered, did God forget? He says, God has not forgotten them, even though it has been thousands of years that Israel has been waiting for their Messiah. And now they can see, they can look back and see that God had a plan all along. And it is taking shape just as he meant it to from the beginning. Everything that they saw, everything they went through, everything they were told was what God had planned right from the beginning. Nothing messed up his plan. Nothing made him go to plan B. And you know, when you think of that, even though it's so strange the way it happened and seemed to go against the way we might do something, when you think of that... We can, that can really help us as we go along, and we're waiting for years and decades and centuries and millennia for God's promises to come true. But we know we've seen it in the past. We've seen it come true at certain times in history. We know the Savior came. We know he came and gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, and he fulfilled those prophecies. And now we know he said he will return. And people scoff. In the Bible, it even talks about people scoffing about his return. And he says that the faithful will inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit, inherit the earth. And we know that God will keep his promises. He's kept the most important ones. He'll keep the ones that are still to come. Even when they don't occur on our timetable. So this teaches us again, never, ever let go of God's promises. But you know, there's one sentence towards the end of our story I'd like to highlight for a moment. As everybody's all excited and bubbling and the message is spreading throughout the community there about the Messiah being born, it says... And this is meant to be a a contrast here. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So Mary's reaction to all that was happening was different than everybody else's. Everyone else was was excited, and that's a good thing. But instead of joining in on celebration... It's like she just keeps it all inside. 
And she becomes very contemplative. Now, you know, in chapter one of Luke that we saw <clears throat> earlier, Mary visits Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth sees her and, and shouts, how has the mother of my Lord come to me? Well, Mary then goes into this, this psalm of praise. And she expresses herself at that time. But here, as everyone is rejoicing and bubbling over, she treasures it all in her heart. She's quiet and becomes very thoughtful. And Luke mentions that in here. Here's what I think is happening. As everyone... <clears throat> has, in a sense, begun the celebration that the Messiah is here. God has delivered us. The Messiah is here. I believe that Mary senses that maybe there's more to it than just he's here, we're free. I think she senses that it may not be completely smooth sailing from here on out. That for some reason... There could be choppy waters ahead. And you know, that thought <clears throat> that we have these wonderful promises from God, yet there could be choppy waters ahead, that can help us too, right? Because we are looking forward to our complete redemption when our bodies are completely redeemed and the earth is made new and the universe is made new. And we know that from the scriptures, Christ is going to return and he is going to right all wrong. He is going to put down all evil. And that those on whom his favor rests will reign for him, reign with him for eternity on a new earth and in redeemed bodies made for eternity. And it will be nothing short of amazing and completely fulfilling and we could get all bubbly and excited. And that would be good. But between now and Christ's return, there is suffering, isn't there? There is evil to face. There are hardships that we must go through. We will face failures. We will experience losses. And it's part of God's journey for us. The Bible is very clear that on the way to glory, there's suffering. And Jesus exemplified it. On the way to glory was immense suffering. And you know, over the centuries, many believers have undergone persecution and even death for their faith. And it goes on today, of course. And we don't know what we will face. <clears throat> but whatever it is, we are called to persevere and be faithful and to keep our hopes anchored in Christ. And you know, Mary is one of the most blessed people to ever live because she was the mother of the Savior, the earthly mother of Jesus. Yet she had to endure intense suffering in her role. And that's the role that God chose for her. So I think there was something there in Mary's contemplative mood 
And I think it came out as she had to go through suffering. So our passage tells us that the shepherds ended up returning to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. And then it ends with this note on how Joseph and Mary followed through on their role as the earthly parents of this child from God. And it says in verse 21, as we looked at earlier, on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child, that would bring him into the the fold of God, the Abrahamic covenant, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So the parents faithfully follow through on their responsibility to publicly bring their newborn into God's covenant people through circumcision. And in obedience to God, they give him the name that the angel told them to name him. And that name is above all names. It's Jesus, which means God's salvation. So we've looked at the birth story of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Luke tells us, as we know, it was very special and unique because of the virgin birth, the angelic announcement. But we can also see as we look a little closer how God passed over the wealthy and the powerful to bring the message to the lowly on whom his favor rests. Those who humble themselves and come to God in need. His favor rests on those who will turn to him in repentance for their salvation in Christ alone. Those who will repent for the forgiveness of our sins. That's on whom God's favor rests. And we also see in this message that this salvation message came to those who were of low standing on the earth. It came from powerful, glorious beings out of the heavenlies whose very presence terrified those who saw it. But it came to the lowly of the earth. And then we saw how God used selfish, corrupt human rulers to carry out the birth of his son. The, un, uh, the, the Roman emperor, unbeknownst to himself, set up the fulfillment of God's plan by calling for a census which put G Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth. So we have this all-wise loving, sovereign God, working out the salvation of mankind through ignorant human rulers who, would, who refuse to even acknowledge him. <clears throat> Which then tells us that our faith is in the very place it should be. Our faith is in the promises of God, the God of the Bible. Our faith is in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for our sins. And our faith is in the strength and leading of the Holy Spirit who encourages us through God's word and his continued presence. Because no matter how impossible God's promises may look at any one time, 
They have all come true to this point, and they will continue to come to fulfillment in God's timing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your evident love for us, your creation. We who are lowly, we who can't even stand before you, and yet you sent your son to die in our place so that we could live forever. And we thank you for this wonderful uh, celebration of Christmas. And we thank you for the deep meaning behind it. And we pray that that would go with us and we would live in it. And we could tell others and bring others into it. We thank you for this joyous time in Jesus' name. Amen.